So as most of you know, we've been in Galatians 5 for a couple months now, and we've been looking at some of the concepts in the chapter, and we recently started going through the list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And over the last few Sundays, we have been looking at love, joy, peace, and this morning... Our theme is the fruit of patience that the Holy Spirit bears in our lives. And now some of you might immediately think that this, after hearing this sermon, you'll be able to stand in the queue this coming week much more contentedly. You will wait for a bus more contentedly after the Holy Spirit bears this fruit in you. But that's not actually the primary sense of the term as it's used here in Galatians chapter 5. Matthew Henry says, commenting on this verse, that it is patience to defer anger and contentedness to bear injuries. Ronald Fung elaborates, patience in Galatians 5 refers to a long-suffering attitude towards other people. Deferring one's anger under provocation and refusing to retaliate for wrong done to oneself. So it's not so much that the Holy Spirit will make you less restless as you stand in line at the supermarket or Shafat or at a government office this coming week. More so, the primary usage of the term patience here in Galatians 5 is that the Holy Spirit will make you the kind of person who doesn't immediately lash out or strike back when wronged. In this way, there's some overlap with self-control. We're going to explore this primary meaning of patience mostly and first this morning, but then we are going to tie it together with the closely related concept of endurance, which is the sort of quality that would actually make it easier to wait in a queue as well as deal with much more difficult things than that. Now, as we begin, the most sensible place to jump into our study this morning is with a look at the patience of God. This is because, as Ronald Fung notes, God's long-suffering towards mankind constitutes the basis and reason for the believer's patience toward others. Exodus 34 and verse 6 in the, in the ESV, the English Standard Version that we typically use here at CRBC, says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Greek word translated as slow to anger in our ESV is the same Greek word translated as patience in Galatians 5.22. So, in the Septuagint, it basically says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, patient and abounding in steadfast love. Slow to anger, patient. In Romans 9.22, again, our ESV says that God endured with much patience 
vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Again, this is the same Greek word. So God deferring His wrath towards sinful men, God being slow to anger, is God's patience. The King James Version uses the same English word in all three scriptures that I just mentioned to you. In Exodus 34 and verse 6, as it is written in the King James Version, it says, The Lord, the Lord God, is merciful and gracious, long-suffering. In Romans 9.22, the King James Version says that God endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And in the King James Version, Galatians 5.22, which is... Of course, our text for this morning, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Well, we recognize that God is impassable, which means that He cannot suffer, technically speaking. There's never a day when God is injured. There's never a day in which God is wounded. There's never a day in which his capacity is weakened because he has sustained some kind of wound. God cannot suffer, properly speaking, technically speaking. But it might be helpful, though we understand that, to think of the concept of God's patience as something like what I'm about to say in view of the King James Version's use of the word long-suffering. We can think of God's patience like this. God chooses to suffer for a long time instead of being quick to make other people suffer. Something like that is what is meant by God's patience, by God's long-suffering. As God Himself says in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. The Lord makes time and space for people to turn and to repent rather than just immediately consuming them with His just wrath against sin. They deserve to be punished. Human beings who have rebelled against God deserve not for God to be long-suffering toward them, but for God to instantly consume them in His wrath. God doesn't owe people space and time to get right with Him, to have dealings with Him, that they might be forgiven, that they might turn from their way and live. God does not owe that to the human race, but He gives it anyway. This is God's patience toward mankind. And this is God's patience toward all mankind. Romans 9 makes that clear. Indicating that God is patient even toward those who are destined for destruction. As I read that verse to you, A moment ago it says, God endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. God doesn't immediately unleash 
his anger toward those who deserve it. Let me say that one more time so that you appreciate the contrast that I'm about to draw. God does not immediately unleash his anger toward those who deserve it. Now you know what I'm about to say. How unlike God are we all too often? God does not immediately unleash his anger toward those who deserve it. But sometimes I do. Sometimes you do. I know it. Sometimes somebody comes along, catches us in the wrong mood, and they do something stupid, and they deserve it, and we tear into them. Right? Been there, done that. I know, I know many of you, most of you have. Though God is long-suffering, God chooses to suffer a long time instead of being quick to make other people suffer. Many times, we are not prepared to suffer a long time. And instead, instead of us suffering a long time, dealing with people, we are quick to make them suffer. It's literally the opposite of long-suffering. That's, that's the point at which the Holy Spirit is working on us, bearing the fruit of long-suffering. Patience. Our natural inclination is to be unwilling to suffer ourselves and quick to make other people suffer. Now, this is natural for two reasons. And the first reason is not wrong. We have a natural sense of justice. And it grates against our natural sense of justice to allow someone else to get away with it when they have wronged us and the wrong that they have done to us causes us suffering of some sort. There's something in us that cries out against that, that screams out against that, that bucks against that. And that, in and of itself, that impulse is not wrong. It's a longing for justice. And you know who put that longing for justice there? God. God made us that way. He made us to be beings who are just, treat others with justice, expect to be treated with justice in return, love justice, hate injustice. All of this part, is part and parcel of what it means to be made in the image of God. So it's not wrong that, something, that we are revolted by the idea of justice not being done. And that we are revolted by the idea of someone getting away with it. So in, in that sense, it's very natural for us to be unwilling to suffer because of an injustice that someone else has done to us. And it's natural for us to want justice to be done to them in response to whatever wrong they have committed. And that impulse in and of itself is not wrong. Now here's the second reason that this inclination is natural to us. The second reason is that it is because we are fallen, sinful people, and our corruption causes us to have a diminished view of our own guilt. And our corruption causes us to have an exaggerated view of the guilt of other people. And so left to ourselves, apart from the Holy Spirit's influence, we will tend not to be long-suffering. Well, we are okay with God choosing to be long-suffering towards us, 
and our relatively small, let's just call them shortcomings, imperfections. I missed the mark. I admit I could have done better. But it's, it's perfectly reasonable for God to be long-suffering towards me with my relatively small issues. Right? And while we are okay with other people choosing to be long-suffering with us and our shortcomings, our imperfections, and so forth, the thought of us, we ourselves, being long-suffering with the sins the transgressions, the abominations of others, right? That's a bridge too far. So what sin has done is it's taken our natural sense of justice and it's, it's perverted it so that we feel like it's pretty just for God to be long-suffering with us. We feel like it's pretty just for other people to be long-suffering with us. But it would be against justice itself if I was long-suffering with someone else. See, so the, the impulse to, toward justice is okay. God put that there. But sin corrupts that and perverts that such that apart from the Holy Spirit's work bearing the fruit of patience and long-suffering in us, we will have a perverted perception of what justice is and a perverted practice of how justice works out in our lives. Such that we think it's reasonable and understandable for others to, for, for others to be long-suffering with us and for God to be long-suffering with us. But the minute that somebody sits down and suggests to you that you be long-suffering toward others, we get our backs up. How could you even suggest that? You don't know what I'm going through. Are you crazy? How unreasonable, how absurd that you would even suggest that I be long-suffering towards others. So, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, because that's the context, remember, of Galatians 5. The battle between the flesh and the spirit, as it pertains to this issue of long-suffering, is not a battle about justice and whether or not it is important for justice to be done. It's not as if the flesh says, yes, justice is important, and the Holy Spirit says, no, justice doesn't matter. That's not the case. The battle between the flesh and the spirit is a battle, firstly, or, or one way that it's a battle, one aspect in which it's a battle, is about whether we will work out the implications of the gospel in terms of our relationships with other people or not. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians in Galatians chapter 5. To those who have therefore received the Holy Spirit. That's implied here in the sense that the Spirit is bearing fruit in these people. Which necessarily means that Paul's readers have been beneficiaries of God's long-suffering toward them. 
And they have come to see, they have become conscious of the fact that though they deserve God's wrath, instead they got patience, long-suffering, which is grace. How then could these Galatian Christians turn around and refuse to extend long-suffering to others? This would be like the man in Jesus' parable who is forgiven a large debt. And then you remember he goes out and he is so patient and so long-suffering with the man who owes him a much smaller sum, right? And everybody lived happily ever after. Isn't that how it goes? Right? The man is forgiven a large debt and then he immediately goes out from being forgiven a large debt and he prosecutes someone who owes him a much smaller sum and has him put in jail. He had pleaded for the forgiveness of his own debt in these exact words. I quote, have patience with me. End quote. Matthew 18, 26. But he was not willing to listen to the man who owed him a debt when the other man pleaded likewise, and again I quote, have patience with me, end quote. Matthew 18, verse 29. The man had received patience, but the man did not extend patience. And Jesus tells that parable to highlight how absurd it is that the people who have been beneficiaries of long-suffering would not be long-suffering toward others. The Holy Spirit will help us then to work out the gospel implication that if God is long-suffering toward all people, even the impenitent, those vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and does not immediately pour out His wrath upon them. And if God has been long-suffering toward us as Christians, resulting in our reconciliation to Him, then it is out of step both with who God is as a long-suffering God, and it is out of step with how God has treated us because He is a long-suffering God, being long-suffering towards us, out of step with the fact that we have been beneficiaries of God's patience. It is out of step with all these things for us then to refuse to be long-suffering to others. And right there, the Holy Spirit is going to be at work in your life. Helping you to understand that it is an implication of the gospel that you must be long-suffering towards others. So the, the flesh will tell you, right? It's okay for God to be long-suffering toward you. And it's, un- it's okay for other people to be long-suffering toward you. But because justice matters, it's not okay for you to be long-suffering toward others. That's, what, that's, what the, that's how the flesh perverts a proper, legitimate concept like justice. The Holy Spirit is going to be like, no, no, no. God has been long-suffering toward you. You must be long-suffering toward other people. The Holy Spirit's going to be at work in you Christians, helping you 
work that work out the implications of the gospel then in your life. Now, I said a moment ago that the battle between the flesh and the spirit is not a battle about whether justice is good, whether justice ought to be done. As if the flesh tells you justice matters and the Holy Spirit tells you no, justice does not matter. The reason that I said that is because the scripture teaches that God will punish every wrongdoing. And in here, we're going to get into the second aspect that there's going to be a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Right? It's not about, it's not about whether justice is important or not. Part of the battle is the Holy Spirit helping us work out the implications of the gospel so that we're more consistent in terms of how we perceive justice and think about justice and practice justice in relation to grace. And there's another aspect that we're going to get into here, and I think it will become clear as we go on. All right? God will punish every wrongdoing, though. The battle between the flesh and the spirit is not a battle between the flesh saying justice matters and the Holy Spirit saying justice does not matter. In Ephesians 4, there is a list of sins followed by this statement. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Ephesians 5 and verse 6. And, and that's, I just quote that because it's a concise statement of a truth that we see everywhere in Scripture. On account of sin, whether it's the specific sins mentioned in Ephesians 5, which is just a sample list, or whether it's the other sins that we see elsewhere in Scripture, the Scripture teaches us everywhere that on account of sin, the wrath of God is coming. Though some people will get away with it, so to speak, in the temporal here and now, some people die, they reach the end of their lives without ever really having been called to account for the wrongs that they've done. Without ever really having experienced the equal and opposite retribution of the wrongs that they have done. And in that sense, they get away with it in the here and now. But no one ultimately gets away with it. Because on account of such things, the wrath of God is coming. Why then the delay? Why doesn't God call everything to account right now? In 2 Peter 3, the Apostle is dealing with people who mock Christians for believing and proclaiming this very idea that on account of sin, the wrath of God is coming. Peter says, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter says, for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. 
But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 2 Peter 3, verses 4 to 9. So the battle between the flesh and the spirit is not a battle about whether justice is important or not. The Holy Spirit does not desire to bear in you an apathetic attitude toward justice. The Holy Spirit is not simply wanting you to lighten up and not be so concerned about the wrongs that you see perpetuated all around you in this world. That's not what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do in you. The Holy Spirit is not working in you to make you say things like, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. God's Word tells us that sin always matters. And sin will always be punished. It's either punished, in the case of believers, by the outpouring of God's wrath upon Christ Jesus at the cross, or it is punished, in the case of unbelievers, by an eternity in hell. But sin is always punished. So as it applies to justice, the Holy Spirit will not be working in you to minimize the importance of justice, but rather to accept God's timing of it. Patience involves submitting to God's sovereign timing with respect to punishing sin. Now is a time of patience. Coming, then, is a day of reckoning. So the flesh says, today. Right? He cannot get away with it. I must make sure he is punished now for what he did to me. I cannot let him go to the grave in peace. I must make sure that he sees in the here and now in this life what he has done to me and that he suffers for it. I will not wait until the appointed day of reckoning. Justice must be done now. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in you to accept God's sovereign timing with respect to the doing of justice. Romans 12 and verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So the Holy Spirit will be working to make you long-suffering with others. As He has been with you. And as He is toward others during this period of redemptive history. The Holy Spirit will be working in you to act in a way consistent with and becoming of someone who has received much patience from God. 
And the Holy Spirit will be working in you to not minimize the importance of justice or to neglect it altogether, but simply to submit to God's sovereign timing of it. Whereas the flesh says, not today. The flesh says, my sins are small, other people's sins are big, and they need to be punished today. The Holy Spirit will be, will be working to correct that perversion of understanding and practicing justice. Now, that's the primary meaning of what it, what it means here when it says that the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit of patience in you. But I told you at the beginning that we tie this type of patience together with the type of patience that is more like endurance, fortitude, perseverance, the kind of patience that would actually enable you to stand in a long line and also do much harder things than that, which is really quite small at the end of the day. But this is not going to be a separate sermon now, as if we're going to turn our minds to a totally different thing. There is something that really ties together the the kind of patience we've been talking about with the kind of patience we're about to talk about. They're related, though they're not exactly the same. They're related. And we see them put together, actually, in in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For all endurance and patience. So they're related concepts. They're distinguishable, but they're related. And the common thread that ties them together is this. As we need to submit to God's sovereign timing for dispensing justice, we need to submit to God's sovereign timing for putting us in and taking us out of difficult situations. Sometimes we are in a difficult situation because we are being punished for our sin. Not always. It's bad practice to assume that if someone's having a hard time, it must be because they've sinned. The Bible doesn't lead us to that kind of simplistic way of accounting for all difficulty in the world. But sometimes it is. We suffer Because we're being disciplined for sin. Hebrews 12 and verse 7 says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Sometimes we're in a difficult situation, not because we're being punished, but because it would be good for us in some way. It would be needful for us in some way. It's good for our development and growth. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Implying that if you grieved by various trials, it's because it's necessary. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9, that we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. In other words, it was God's purpose to bring you to that point where you're in such a difficult situation so that you'd rely on Him more. And then sometimes we're in difficult circumstances, not because 
we're being disciplined, not because it would be good for us in some way, but simply because it serves God's glory. This is the way Job suffered. It wasn't for anything that he did. The book of Job bears that out at great length. It wasn't because God said Job needs to be sanctified in such and such an area. It's simply because God was, was putting the work that he had done in Job's life on display for the angelic observatory to see. Whatever the reason why we go through difficult situations, it's always the case, whatever the specific reason, it is always the case that God in his sovereignty has decreed that for that space of time we will suffer. God has decreed that in these particular circumstances that you're in, that you be in them. That this is your law in life for now. Whatever the specific reason, it's according to God's sovereign purposes unfolding in your life that you're in a difficult situation. That you're in a difficult situation. And as submitting to God's sovereign timing with respect to the dealing out of justice makes us long-suffering toward other people and their sins against us, instead of wrathful towards them, so submitting to God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign purpose with respect to our suffering gives us endurance, perseverance, fortitude. The flesh will be working in us the opposite, whispering in our ear, you don't deserve this. Why would God make you go through this? God is not to be trusted. God is not a good God. God is not a wise God. What right does God even have to do this? God is not, God doesn't have the legitimate authority to put you through what He's putting you through. And the Holy Spirit deals with us like this. Now, God is good. Look at how long-suffering He's been toward you. Look at the benevolence that He's shown to you by sending Christ Jesus to seek and to save you and to reconcile you to Himself. No, God is good. And God can be trusted because He is a wise benevolent Father, according to His wisdom. Everything that that has been made, everything that is made, has been made. And when we look at just the grand design of everything, and then when we look at how God has, in the past, worked difficult and horrible circumstances for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, When we look at the the bare testimony of Scripture to God's wisdom, we should believe that God is wise as well as good. And then the Scripture just tells us so baldly at the end of the day that He is the potter and we are the clay. And so God actually does have every right to do with your life and in your life whatsoever He sees fit. God is good, God is wise, and God is sovereign. The Holy Spirit is going to be working in these things to the end that you trust Him. That you submit to His sovereign providence in your life. 
So you submit to his timing with respect to the outpouring of justice. And you, su- you submit to his providence with respect to the difficulties that you're in. And you submit to his providence in terms of when or if you're going to get out of them. And in this way, you can see that patience, whether it's the long-suffering with the sins of others kind, or whether it's the endurance and fortitude and perseverance kind, patience comes from being deeply rooted in who God is, both in terms of His his goodness and His wisdom, His justice, and also His sovereignty. And the Holy Spirit will be working then against the flesh to make us people that trust in and submit to God's sovereignty with respect to all these things. (laughs) And in the doing so, the Holy Spirit will be making us patient. The fruit of the Spirit is patience.